Um, thank y'all for coming tonight. I'm Tyler. I'm the RF intern. Um, we've been going through Leviticus this semester, and as you guys know, we've seen that God continues to draw near to an imperfect people, and um, we've also seen that God continues to overcome barriers so that we can be with Him. And much like you guys, um, I have been confused every time we read the passage um, before we start and Brian starts to preach. I'm like, what's going on? I have no idea. You're not alone in that. Fortunately, tonight, we're going to be in the New Testament. That's great news for me because when you hear in the fall that your campus minister has decided to preach on Leviticus and you've been given the opportunity to preach, you get kind of nervous. Um, so we're going to be in Mark's Gospel tonight. Flip with me to Mark 5, 21 through 43, and I'll read that for us. But while you're flipping there, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about two things. Um, one, what responsibility do we have as God draws near to us? And then additionally, how much faith is required on our part? Um, before we go, I'll pray really quickly for us and then we'll start reading. Father, I thank you tonight that um, we can draw near to you, Lord, um, and that you make us clean. And I hope that we see that in this passage tonight, that we would believe it. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so there's a lot going on in this passage. Um, but we'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll focus on three different things. So Mark 5.21 reads, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. <laughs> then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he, fought, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So, we got three things we want to focus on tonight. We've got, who talks to Jesus? We have... How do they come to Jesus? And then we have, how are they made clean? And so, who gets to talk to Jesus? Who are these people? And what makes them so special? 
Um, we see from the text that Mark actually sandwiches the two encounters together. We have Jairus who's imploring Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And then we also have the bleeding woman who has been suffering for 12 years and has gotten no better, but has actually gotten worse. And when you hold them up side by side, you'll see that they're actually as different as could be. You have on one hand Jairus, who's the ruler of the synagogue, which basically means that he picked who preached, who prayed, and um, who read scripture. And so in his community, a lot of people knew him, and he was respected by most people. But on the other hand, you have the woman who, because of her uncleanness, which we learned in past weeks, doesn't even allow her to come into a setting of public worship. So she couldn't join us tonight um, in those days. And so that actually made her a social pariah. And um, it became a matter of inconvenience for people to associate with her. It just wasn't worth their time. We also see that economically they were two different people. Um, Jairus, as the ruler of the synagogue, was likely very wealthy. And perhaps the woman was too. But um, as we see, she actually had spent all she had um, on physicians. And so she's actually very poor at this point. Um, and doesn't have much to turn to there. And then even when we look at things like status and respectability among the community, Jairus has it. He's a man in a day where men called the shots, and the woman had no such claim to power. Um, So when we hold them up, we see that they're two very different people. But there's one thing that binds them together, and that's this, that no matter um, what their lot might be, they, they, give me a moment. (laughs) Um, they can't escape suffering. And so they're both desperately hoping for healing. And Jesus comes to both of them and and, uh, walks with both of them through that. And so nobody among that crowd today would have put them together. But here we see that they're not so different and that no matter what their lot is, they can't escape suffering. And so y'all probably don't know this about me. Well, some of you might actually, but I'm a huge Disney movie fan. Um, I watched Hercules my freshman year way too much, and um, I actually won a lip sync contest at my RUF using Part of Your World by Little Mermaid. Um, the video is out there, and you can do it that what you will. I love Disney movies, and when I look at Jairus and the woman, I can't help but think of Aladdin and Jasmine. Um, you've got Aladdin, this beggar boy who uh, steals to make ends meet and his best friend, his only friend is a monkey named Abu. Nobody knows the guy. And then you've got Jasmine who is the, uh, princess daughter of the King. Um, she's never had a need unmet and everybody respects her and treats her with dignity. Um, but regardless of their lot, they both suffer from the fact that they can't be together. Society won't let them. Um, And so, regardless of the fact that she's an affluent princess, he's a little beggar, um, and an orphan at that, their problem's the same. They can't escape suffering. Um, Their circumstance and their place among the people can't change that either. And it's actually interesting, um, when we look at the passage and compare it there, um, that the Bible doesn't split these encounters either, just like Aladdin and Jasmine's stories are interconnected, so are Jairus and the woman, though we wouldn't think so. Um, Mark had enough material He had enough to say about both situations where he could have split it, but he doesn't. And I think that really shows us something about ourselves. And we see it at Ole Miss all the time. Ole Miss is full of diversity, uh, different things like what we love, where we go, how we go about our day, 
and, and so much more, demographics, all of that. But um, just like we've seen in, in Mark, none of us actually make it out untouched, um, regardless of how good we have it or um, the fact that we have nothing to lean into. Um, you might have come from the right town, or maybe uh, you, your family's been coming here for generation after generation. Um, what else is there? You, uh, you could be in the right organizations and your friends with all the people that everybody knows. And when you're in a crowd, people come up to you to talk. Or you could have come to Ole Miss not knowing what to expect and um, kind of set you behind. Or you got cut from Rush. Or you had a roommate situation figured out and all of a sudden something went wrong and you're scrambling to find a roommate situation. But whatever the case may be, there's something that we can't avoid, and that's suffering. Suffering um, doesn't discriminate, and it doesn't have a selection process. And so ultimately, even if you're grasping for any and every cure, just like the bleeding woman, you'll find that suffering can't be avoided. And so now we come to the question of how do they come to Jesus? So what makes them different from the rest of the people that were all around him? Because there's a huge crowd. We're told that in the text. Um, We know that Jesus is actually returning to Capernaum. He'd already been there before. Um, and in prior passages, we see that he cast out demons and that he even healed sick, sick, diseased people um, like the bleeding woman when they came to him. And the people were anxious to see what he would do next. They were waiting at, at the shore as he came from the boat. And so surely Jairus and the, and the bleeding woman had heard about what Jesus had done. The people that had been healed were walking testaments in the streets. Um, and so they, they surely knew what he, was going, what, what he was capable of. And as the bleeding woman understood it, Jesus was essentially a magic genie lamp. Um, she believed that if she could just touch his garment, that she would be made well. And honestly, at this point, she's willing to try anything. She's visited physician after physician to no avail. Nothing's worked for her. And at this point, she's really got nothing left to, to go on. And so why not Jesus? Um, But Jairus, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Jairus um, at first glance. Um, What would make a wealthy and respectable Jewish public figure come and beg Jesus to heal his daughter? Um, The woman, she was out of options. But Jairus, this was fresh. The daughter had just gotten seriously ill. Um, The translation actually tells us that um, she's at the point of death. Um, And Jairus chose to trust Jesus. Um, and so that's kind of strange, um, but why do we think that is? Um, we know that Jesus, we know that Jairus knew that Jesus could make her well, that he could heal the sick. Unfortunately, in the time that passed, um, as they were going to the house, obviously the woman comes into play, and after that encounter happens, uh, the messenger comes and tells Jairus, Your daughter's dead. He says, what does he say? He says, do not trouble the teacher anymore in Mark. Um, And what's he really saying is that, Jairus, Jesus can't raise the dead. Everybody in Capernaum knows he can heal the sick, but raising the dead is just a bit much to ask for. And so here's the problem is that we see that Jairus had never come for a resurrection. He didn't come for his daughter to be brought back to life. He had only come for a healing. Um, And the woman, she had basically come for a hit and run. She was intent on running into the crowd, touching Jesus' garment, and getting out of there as quickly as possible. But we see that Jesus calls her out. And um, originally you're like, oh, dang, 
Jesus is like really, really bringing the heat. But what you'll come to find out um, is that because she was unclean, even though she was made clean, nobody knew that. Nobody saw that. And so they still would have treated her the same. She would have been this outcast that couldn't enter among the community. And so what Jesus was actually doing was um, dealing with her in perfect love. Um, By calling her out and having her confess what had happened, she was allowed to be restored to the community. Um, And so in both Jairus and the woman's case, he was giving them so much more than they asked for. Um, And they thought this was a good thing, but they didn't expect to receive what they did. And so we see that both of them had faltered in their faith, that they didn't expect what Jesus could really do. Um, But we also see that Jesus came, when they came to Jesus with a weak and unstable faith, that he made them well. Um, So again, bringing up something about my own life, you guys are going to hate me for this one. I'm the kind of guy that can listen to Christmas music any time of the year. Um, I just love all things Christmas, especially music. Margaret Walker knows what I'm talking about. Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley is my jam. Um, And even more than that, I also love uh, the Christmas videos where parents are telling their kids that they're going to Disney World. And I love it for two reasons. One being that when you throw a five-year-old into any situation and ask them questions, you just don't know what you're going to get. And also, I love the fact that the kids always undershoot it. They always think it's going to be something simpler. The parents ask them, what do you think the big surprise is? The kid says, I don't know, a trampoline, a toy Jeep. And um, here's the thing. They know that their parents are going to give them something and give them something good. But they don't realize exactly what their parents are capable of giving them, such as a trip to Disney World. Um, And so those children imagine they're getting something great in their eyes. But it actually doesn't hold a candle in the wind to what they receive. And, of course, we know in their case that expecting less doesn't disqualify them from receiving the greater gift in Disney. Thankfully, Jesus is even better than our parents. And he doesn't measure us according to the strength of our faith. I want you to hear this next piece. Your approach will not condemn you when you go before God. When he calls you to himself, you don't have to fear what he's going to say. And you don't have to worry about what he's going to do. Because like the bleeding woman, you don't need to fear. Um, And that's actually really great news for us. But I think it's hard to believe sometimes. And I think you all know what I'm talking about too. um, In your own lives and in the lives of your friends around you. It's it's things when you tell yourself um, that you need to make progress on a particular area of shame in your life before you can come to Jesus. Or when you decide that you need to go find a friend that can hold you accountable at parties. Um, and then you'll be on your way. And the problem is it, it, it doesn't get better when um, you start joining a Bible study or when you decide you're going to treat that girl right. Um, as much as we'd love those things um, to, to make us better. And, and those are good things. Um, I'm not saying they're not. I'm not saying they're not right things to pursue. Um, but here's the problem is that the faith that Jesus asks of us does not expect us to clean up before we meet him. Um, his delight is actually to clean you and to walk with you um, as you fight and as you face sin in your life Um, and as you become unclean he will work with you um, and clean you himself and so it doesn't matter how well we struggle um, in our uncleanness and how well we maintain a particular line of theology our measure of faith can't keep us from the object of our faith because he loves us that much 
So finally, last point, I'll be quick. How are they made clean? Um, so we, we know that the woman and the little girl were unclean. And if you've been at RUF in the past few weeks, you'll know that the loss of blood made a person unclean before God. And you'll also know that Levitical law says that any, anybody that's dead or deceased is also unclean. And in both cases, anybody that touches somebody that's unclean is also made unclean before God. But Jesus draws near to them both and heals them. And how does he do it? He does it by his touch. Um, He became unclean on their behalf. He didn't simply say, your faith has made you well, though he could have. Um, Instead, he makes them clean by reaching out and touching them in the most personal way. And he does it at a great cost to himself. And... Uh, it says in the text that power had gone out from Jesus. And I don't really know exactly what that means, but I can gather one thing from that, and that that would be that it cost Jesus to clean us. Um, and it costs more than we, than, than we know, um, even. And so we have the woman um, who was made well when she touched Jesus' garment, and she sinks back into the crowd. Jesus asked, who touched me? And the better question really is, who didn't touch him? Peter even is like, Jesus, what do you mean? There's this whole crowd around you. Everybody's pressing up against you. Everybody's touching you. Of course, the woman knows exactly what he's talking about. And she comes before him, trembling in fear. And before the whole crowd, she confesses what she's done and what has happened. Um, And you can imagine the looks on the face of the people. They're horrified. They're disgusted. But how does Jesus address her? He says, daughter. He says, daughter which is the only time in the whole Bible and in the Gospels that Jesus addresses someone as daughter. And then he goes on to tell her that it's her faith that made her well, not her touch. And maybe he's telling her, hey, the superstitious faith you have, there's more to it than that. But he could also even be saying that the thing that you think makes you unclean and makes me unapproachable is actually the thing that allows me to come to you and make you clean. And with, with the little girl, he, he comes to her, and what does he do? He takes her unclean hand, and he says, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And, and that day, that's probably what Jairus and his wife would have said to wake her up. And so we get a picture of Jesus approaching this girl and taking her by the hand and saying, little girl, arise, um, as, if he's, as if she is his daughter. So to make them unclean, or to make them clean, he became unclean on their behalf. And my worst nightmare is probably the day that I have kids and they catch the stomach bug. Some of y'all know I'm very clean, very particular. Um, And it just sounds awful. And if you think about it, like think about the first time you ever got really sick as a kid. Like you didn't know what was going to happen. You knew you felt bad, but like you didn't know what was going on. And like in the same way, like kids don't know how to clean themselves. Um, And so, and we don't want them to because they do a horrible job of it. Um, and like as a parent that loves their child they don't go up to their child and say Derek go get a Sprite get some saltines and go lay in bed until you feel better what do they do the parent comes to their child in their messiness and cleans them off and in that process the parent gets nasty so that the child might become clean Um, in the same way Jairus the woman and us we're all like the sick child we can't help ourselves Um, Jairus can't stop his daughter from dying. The woman can't stop from bleeding. And we can't remove our blemishes before a holy God. No amount of trying harder is going to help that. 
whether that's reading the Bible and praying, it's not going to work, or going on a mission trip and loving those kids so selflessly, it's not enough. And just like the sick child, um, that can leave us very unsettled. But, um, it, and actually, like it, it can't even plunge us into despair unless we realize that we're unable to come to him um, and our cleanness and that he's actually willing to come to us. And so we see that the bleeding woman and the little girl are both healed. A misguided superstitious woman and the daughter of a faithful and upright man. Why is that? Why, why is the bleeding woman healed as well as the little daughter of the faithful man? Jesus doesn't lower the bar so that they measure up. And he doesn't wipe the slate away so that they have a do-over. Um, but he actually comes to them in his perfect holiness so that they can become spotless. Jesus comes to them and makes them clean. And in the same way he makes us clean too, he takes our stains and wears them as his own. He sees us in our death and bleeding and he takes the wrath of God that we can have life. And he does that even when your faith is weak and misguided. And so the measure of your faith does not disqualify you. No matter how many cures you've sought after, no matter how fearful and desperate you become, and no matter how much you doubt and fear. In spite of that all, you can actually trust Jesus because he really is that good. The one who's demanded that you must become clean has actually come to clean you. You need not know where he will take you. He surely will make you well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for um, just your presence, Lord, that um, at the end of a, at the end of a week where a lot of testing quizzes are going on that um, we need not worry um, that you are with us. And when we feel like we're not enough, Lord, and that um, we haven't done enough, um, Lord, that you come to us and make us clean. Um, we're thankful for your grace, and we're thankful for your son and his sacrifice on the cross. We ask these in, in your name. Amen.